from the mind of the sapient simian. This is Nobody's Prodigy. Free-range ideas from beyond the box. This is the Sapient Simeon, and welcome to Nobody's Prodigy, episode 41, an episode I'm going to call Artistic Discontent. It's said that great art comes from great pain. Indeed, the idea of an artist as brooding, melancholy, or depressed is almost as ubiquitous as the artist who stars for their art. It is truly difficult to conjure an example without a dark shadow of depression, anxiety, and self-doubt and the ultimate arrival at a bad ending has become so common as to appear a cliché. But what if it's not that particularly moody and emotional people become great artists, but that the pursuit of art itself pushes people towards such an outlook by the very nature of the work needed to improve? I am obviously a creative person. I have done all kinds of art over the years, and I still do art fairly regularly in my regular life. Having done it from a very early age, I can definitely attest to the fact that self-expression can be liberating. It can be empowering and even help you heal at times of great pain or under great stress. I think that those moments are among the most rewarding and the most satisfying that I've ever had. When I was younger, at times when I was particularly upset, there was nothing I liked more than to find some way of expressing that using a creative output. Whether that was writing poetry, writing songs, making a painting or a drawing, or in my later years, simply cranking up the distortion and the volume on my guitar amp and making a lot of very loud noises. But the transition into approaching art as a serious pursuit changes things. Self-expression can do no wrong. When you express yourself, you are simply expressing the way that you feel. And to the extent that you are doing that, no one can say that it is successful or unsuccessful except for yourself. More to the point, as long as you feel like you are expressing yourself, there's nothing to say that you aren't. There's no one to say that you did not do a good enough job. As long as the expression that you're putting forward vents the emotion or expresses the feelings that you're trying to put out, that act of self-expression is doing its job. A piece of art, however, either succeeds or fails. A piece of art is looked at both by yourself and by other people and is judged to be either good or bad. Depending on the kind of art that it is, you'll find that it's placed in a certain kind of category and it's looked at in that category in relation to other pieces of art in that category and it will be decided to be as good as other pieces in that category or not as good as other pieces in that category. And in that sense, any particular piece of art will be judged to be good or bad in a way that an act of self-expression never will be. Now because of this, when you try to pursue art seriously, you find yourself trying to get better, trying to do your next piece of art in a more successful way than you did your last. Now, people who try to get better at doing art find themselves having to look for mistakes, things that don't work, and learn better techniques. Most of the time, they do this by identifying failures in their own art, identifying things that they did before that did not work in a way that 
ended up being successful. In this way, you have to have a critical eye. And the pursuit of art in this form encourages you to have that critical eye. From the point that you decide to pursue art in a serious way, you force yourself or you're required to look at all other art, including your own art, your own other pieces of art from that point forward, with a judgmental eye. You have to look at the art that you see around you and judge critically what you do and don't like, things that you think work and don't work. And when it comes to your own art and the art of other people, not only do you look at it and judge it for its successes and failures, but you also end up trying to figure out exactly what it is that doesn't work in specifics and how you would go about fixing it. And if you don't know how to fix it, you want to find someone that can tell you how to fix it or to find someone that does it better and try to figure out what the difference is. Throughout the whole process, you find yourself having to step back and judge your work so far. Is this color the right color? Is this shape the correct shape? Is this particular object the right size? So that even when you're making the art along the way, you find yourself judging your actions at every point as you go. This is because skill, or what is called artistic skill, that you develop usually comes down to spotting mistakes earlier and earlier. And this is largely down to developing your critical eye to spot problems well ahead of time. So in a sense, once you start to develop your artistic skill to get better at art and to pursue the practice of art in a more serious way, you force yourself to become more critical, more judgmental, more obsessed over particulars, and the act of self-expression is no longer possible because every single moment along the way of that expression that used to be so free-flowing self-expression in a way that can do no harm has now become a moment-to-moment judgment and critical evaluation of every situation along the way to try to spot problems ahead of time and fix them. The thing is, though, that only you know the right and the wrong in your own work. You're making something that only you understand. So spotting problems in this situation becomes its own particular kind of problem. Whatever it is you're trying to do in your piece of art is something that only you understand to be correct or incorrect. So while you are encouraging yourself to develop this critical eye and you are telling yourself that to get better and to get more skillful, you have to be able to spot problems before they develop into bigger problems. If you're creating art for yourself in what should be a self-expressive kind of activity, you're instead judging your own self-expression at every point along the way and you're finding yourself deciding if something is right or wrong in a situation where you're the only one who knows what the outcome is supposed to be. You are, in a sense, making something that is an image or an idea that you alone understand. You're pursuing an ideal. You're literally chasing perfection in your mind. And I can guarantee you, from years of experience, that you will never get it 100% right. Now, the funny thing about this is that no one else knows. But in your own mind, you will never get entirely satisfied with any of your work because there will always be something at the end that is not quite perfect 
from that idea, that image in your mind that you had to begin with. And because of this, you end up obsessing on precise choices, and it encourages very specific fixations on shade or blending or hue or shape or sound or spacing or any number of very specific nuances of the actual thing itself. And it doesn't matter if it's painting or writing or playing music or writing poetry. You will find something that is the fixation that drives you, not necessarily because it's the most important piece, but if it's the one thing that you have a hard time pinning down exactly the way that you want it, everything else in the act itself is no longer as important. You will fixate on the one thing that does not work, and that one thing will become whether or not that piece is successful or a failure. And the thing is, the final work is the only representation of that idea for others. And in that way, it is the best representation of that idea for anyone. If it's something that you come up with in your own mind, then you're the only one that can tell others that it is not what you had in mind. And even if you told somebody, you have proven it to be the case that no one else can make a better representation because you are the only person that had that thought and that is your best attempt at making that particular representation. Therefore, that is the best representation of that thing that is possible. And what I find particularly ironic is that as an artist, I often find that in other people's work, it's the mistakes that I actually like the best. If I see another person's art and they have drawn the face in a strange way, or they have a hand that's an odd shape, if they have the animals drawn in a way that's unusual, or something that is deviates from what's the ideal or what's the textbook answer, those become the things that I like the best. Those are the things that I actually am drawn to. But as the artist, those are the things that I like the least. Those are the things that I actually obsess over trying to do better, because those are the things that I see as problems. And if you look at things like folk art and what's called outsider art, those things are all about oddities. They're all about someone expressing themselves in a way that is not correct, is not textbook. They use certain materials that are not common materials. They make things that are not the correct picture-perfect ways of doing things. Because the fact is, if you make something that's as correct as a picture, you might as well just get a picture. And if you can create an image that's absolutely perfect, you might as well just make that image on a computer. That it's the actual act of using your hands to create something, and the fact that humanity itself is flawed, is what makes the art itself have meaning. My younger brother actually has a YouTube series, and he sells t-shirts, and one of his shirts that I actually bought myself is one that I really like the quote on. And the quote is actually that, perfection has no character. And I find that to be the truth. If you do something absolutely perfect, it might as well come off an assembly line. There's nothing about it that makes it uniquely yours. In my own life, when I get something brand new and it has no signs of anything on it, it is generic. It's only after I have lived with that thing and used that thing for a while, and it has particular scars on it, particular 
marks and particular signs of the fact that it's been with me and has done things with me that I actually become attached to it because it becomes not anything. It becomes my thing, my version of that thing. What's ironic, however, is that even though I know these things, I still find it difficult to not become upset in my own work when something I'm trying to do doesn't work out the way that it should. In that way, I still pursue perfection, even though I know that if I was to achieve it, it would make for a lesser quality of work. And because of this, most artists can't enjoy their own work. They prefer to put it out and not have to go back and look at it again. You hear all the time that actors, for example, don't like to watch movies that they're in. A lot of times, people that will make music and things will not listen to their own albums because you don't want to hear the things that didn't work out the way that you wanted them to work out, even if they're million-selling albums, even if they're blockbuster movies. I know that a lot of times with my paintings, living with that painting and actually hanging it up on the wall and seeing it every day becomes a bit of a chore because I end up seeing things I want to change, things I want to do differently. So I prefer to finish something and then send it out into the world so that someone else can see it and not have all that baggage with it. Because when I look at something that I've made, even if there's only one tiny little mistake on that particular thing, it will be the only thing that I see. And every time I look at it, I will look directly at that. And I think that that's normal for artists and people that pursue art with a capital A. Because when you're trying to get better at art, especially if you have not had any great successes, you tend to blame your failures on those things. And in a way, those things are representations of the things that you've failed to do. And even if you don't have any visible mistakes, a lot of times when you look at a painting like that, you will fixate upon the unseen ideas you weren't able to put down. Things that you wanted to do with that painting or that image or that song that you weren't able to get to work. So you will be hearing things that you can't hear or seeing things that aren't visible and beating yourself up for the fact that you weren't able to actually make them happen. And because of this, most artists blame themselves for these failures, and that tends to give them this negative outlook. Even when you get in a position where you have lots of fans praising your work, most of the time experiencing praise from fans is not successful because in the mind of the artist, your average fan doesn't know the extent to which the craft itself is being done. They don't see the things that you see as mistakes because they don't know as much as you know about the art itself. And as much as you appreciate them and want to not turn them away, it's difficult to get true gratification from that because in your mind, they aren't professional artists, so they don't necessarily see the mistakes that you see. And even if that was the case, artists still suffer from what's called imposter syndrome, which is the feeling that you are secretly not as good at what you do as people tend to think you are. The idea that if you do get success, you've built that success upon something you don't fundamentally understand, and therefore you are secretly an imposter in that situation. And even when people praise you, they don't really know that you don't know what you're doing. Because of this, 
And as another effect of pursuing art, a lot of times artists end up in a position where they can't enjoy the work of others. Now, usually this comes down in two different ways. Sometimes artists find other artists that are less, quote-unquote, good as they are. And if they aren't as advanced or capable as the artist sees themselves, then they can't enjoy their work, not only because it's not as good, but because if that other artist has more success than they do, then it serves to goad their own sense of inadequacy and failure, and it's depressing in the sense that they see themselves as unable to achieve any viable goals, despite the fact that they see themselves as being more capable as that person. On the flip side, if they do find an artist that they think is really good and is considerably better than they are, then it's hard for them to enjoy their work because they then see that person as being too good to ever compete with. Their work is too perfect for them to ever achieve. And they're reminded of all the mistakes that they've made in their own pursuit that then become the reasons why they will never achieve it. Because of this, it's difficult for the artists themselves to enjoy, to truly enjoy, the work that they actually participate in because they only end up experiencing all of these mixed feelings in the meantime. And this uncertainty tends to make self-representation impossible. I know that I, in particular, have had a really hard time selling myself and selling my creative output to other people because as the artist itself, you're unsure of the value. You're unsure of your own value, and you're full of self-doubt. When it comes to actually pricing something, the idea of coming up with a number is very difficult because you know that the individual materials involved don't cost anything like what the actual output is. The amount of paints and canvas that are involved in great works of art will never, ever amount to the millions and millions of dollars that the end result is worth. So you're left with this kind of amorphous number that breaks down to how much am I worth for simply putting these paints on this particular canvas? And for someone who's already struggling with their own self-worth and their own value, and when they're looking at a piece that they only see the problems of, it becomes very difficult for them to come up with a number to place on that. And whatever that number is, positive or negative, becomes very difficult for them to justify because there again, if it's too low they take that as a sign that they are not worth as much as they thought they were. But if it's too high, they take that as a sign that feeds into their imposter syndrome and the idea that they're not really as good as people think they are. And generally, this leads to a manic-depressive kind of creation cycle where you love what you're working on now. If it's going well, you can't stop working on it because you think that it's really great. But then as soon as it's done, you find yourself full of self-doubt and you find yourself finding all sorts of things that you didn't like about it, and then you just want to be rid of it because you can't enjoy it anymore. On top of all the rest, I know that over the years, it's occurred to me that as an artist, especially as an artist with a lot of back work, work that's stacked up from a long time ago, you come across the sneaky suspicion that you may actually end up being worth more if you were dead. History is replete with many, many artists, Van Gogh being one of the best known, that were completely unable to succeed as an artist, were completely unable to sell any of their work, were unknown as an artist, and were generally disliked as an artist until after they died. 
and then their work was noticed and then their work was talked about and then everything sort of began to move after they were no longer in the picture. Now, of course, we're not all going to become great artists, and we're not all even trying to become great artists, but the question is, if we encourage this mindset, does this mindset carry over to other areas afterwards? Does an emphasis on artistry in its pure form encourage the mindset of judging oneself, judging others, and build in this tendency toward feelings of inadequacy, feelings of desperation, feelings of depression, and those sorts of things. I think that there is something about this intangible pursuit of an amorphous idea that becomes self-defeating in its own way. Because you're pursuing something so profound that no one can explain it until after it's done, so how do you actually know when to begin or when you've done it? I think that there's some value to be had in encouraging creativity and innovation in areas beyond what are called the arts. Because I think creativity and innovation in other areas are actually not just equally as valuable, but are in fact more valuable. If we had more creative and innovative people in areas of science and technology that were not quote-unquote artistic areas we would end up with greater breakthroughs and greater achievements in those areas than would ever happen otherwise. Because people would bring that same pursuit of innovation and lateral thinking into those other regions that would burn up trying to come up with some new way of putting paint on canvas that no one has ever thought of before. And even when it comes to creativity itself and the pursuit of crafts, I think that it's important to encourage pursuits like those of artisans, crafters, and tradesmen, people that actually have skilled work. When it comes to making the greatest painting of all time, that's very difficult to do. But to become the best cabinet maker in the state is something that has very defined bounds. It's a very easily defined goal. When we load ourselves down with burdens of achievements that are ultimately amorphous, undefined, and inexplicably profound, we rob ourselves of successes we can achieve. If instead we choose to pursue great skill within an established field, we give ourselves peers, metrics, and a community to be a part of. And ultimately, I think that's the goal of this podcast, is just to sort of bring up the difference between the two and to shade the difference between the artist with the capital A as a wellspring of profundity and undefined genius, and the kind of genius and creativity that's involved in all of the other kinds of pursuits that are no less as creative and grand and life-changing, but that are attainable and achievable in a way that is of a different quality to that of the great artists of the world. So with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this episode up. I thought it was kind of an unusual one. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I really appreciate all of you listening. I look forward to the next episode, and I hope to hear from all of you then. Thank you very much. All right. Bye. If you're enjoying the show and would like to help me feed myself keep the lights on, and continue making episodes, 
direct PayPal donations and other inquiries can be sent to thesapientsimeon at gmail.com. That's thesapientsimeon at gmail.com. I do have a Patreon page, also under The Sapient Simeon, where you can get exclusive access to view my other work from years past, paintings, designs, projects, and experiments seen nowhere else. With your help, I can maintain the show as a commercial-free broadcast we all can enjoy, but a key part in that process is reaching out to encourage me and show your appreciation. In the meantime, I would like to thank you for listening and doing what you can to help share my work with others. Until next time, stay curious.